0: guess it's time to say Happy New Year now, right? Our last weekend together. It's good to see everybody. Hopefully, everybody had a good good Christmas. Um, it's good to see a lot of you here on uh, Christmas Eve. Is that Monday night, right? A lot of snowfall falling. You guys will enjoy the snow. It's been beautiful. It's been beautiful. Well, um, we get the privilege to start a new series today. It's going to bring us into the new year. It's a six-week series. It's called Christianity Explained. And Mark is out of town today, so he said, Kyle, I want you to start it off, and you have 35 minutes to explain Jesus is the Son of God. He said, good luck, call me if you have any questions. <laughs> My first response is, how come you get 50 minutes all the time? Just kidding. Uh, he's actually supposed to have 35, but um, the first week is, is today, that's Jesus is the Son of God, and we're just going to spend six weeks looking at some basics of the Christian faith, some things, you know, what do we believe as Christians, maybe you're here today just checking, you know, what does it mean to be a Christian? What's it mean to be a Christ follower? Uh, who is Jesus? Um, why would we start? Uh, why would we start with, with this one? We're going to get to that in a minute, but as the holidays wind down, a lot of you have been traveling, I'm guessing, a lot of travel, yeah, nod your head, yeah, okay, you're awake. Oh, the, the number one mode for transportation right now is, is flying, right? And so some of you have spent a lot of time in airports, and probably more time than you'd like. Some of you have probably even slept in an airport the last couple of weeks with all the delays and flight cancellations, uh, the weather storms and all that. So um, I love airports. I love this, well, I don't really love airports. But when I'm in an airport with my wife, there's a couple things we, we kind of do to pass the time. One is just observe people. You ever just like to sit at the gate and just look at the people? And uh, some of the things we like to do, we just like to kind of guess where that couple's going to, where they're coming from, where their final destination is, where do they live? And sometimes you can tell that by what they're wearing, by their clothes that they have on. If they've, you know, the guy in the Bermuda shorts in Detroit Airport, you're guessing he's probably not, doesn't live there. Um, you can guess if they're on a business trip, uh, if they're going on a business trip or coming back and the trip didn't go so well, you can kind of pick those people out as well. The honeymooners, they're easy to spot. Um, you know, it can't get off each other. So it's it's um, some observations to kind of a game, you know. And sometimes you can strike a conversation and you can say, say I told you I was right. I'm usually right um, on those. So that's just one of the observations, some of the things we like to do in the airport. Another, another thing I've noticed, um, and you've probably noticed this as well if you fly, is when you come off a flight, when you come off a flight and you're getting off, Uh, These people used to be at the gate, but since 9-11, they're not at the gate anymore. They're down more toward the baggage claim. And they're people who are there to meet somebody they've never met before. You know who I'm talking about? In in our really high, technologically advanced society, all the new gizmets and gasmos that we have, um, new inventions, the best we can come up with is a sign that people hold up. And a lot of times it's written with a marker, and it's usually like some uh, broken-off cardboard paper or something, right, that they're holding up, and it says something maybe like this. There's these people here, um, you know, just holding up like a sign like this, and they just stand there. Sometimes that person never comes, and they're standing there left with a sign, holding up a sign. Uh, I wonder sometimes how many times has somebody gotten into the wrong car, you know, because there was just a name like this, Roberts or Smith or maybe a company. And... um, and they maybe didn't realize it at first, but uh, I wonder how many times that's happened. So these people are standing there. There's usually 10 or 15 of them. Uh, this happens a lot in international fights when you go, um, and there's people holding up signs like this. Very impersonal, isn't it? It's one of the most impersonal things of our societies. stand up, hold up a sign, because you're saying, I've never met you. I don't know who you are, but it's my job. I've got to pick you up and take you somewhere. So um, maybe another one, uh, you know, Mr. Smith. And sometimes, as you're walking down by them, it's like they think you didn't see the sign, so they kind of stick <laughs> kind of follow you just in case, just in case you missed it. Um, so just some, some observations. An airport is a cultural phenomenon. I mean, a lot of people all converging in one building from all over the world, and they're all headed somewhere. There's a final destination for every one of those people. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer for them to get there than others. Um, why we're going to start off with the series, the first week, is Jesus. Why, why are we going to do that? Uh, because I, I think a lot of people are, are kind of holding up signs, and they really want to know who is the real Jesus. Would the real Jesus please stand up? Would he please come forward? I want to meet him. Some of us are at the wrong gate. We're looking for Jesus, and, and we've got some wrong information about who he is, Uh, We were told that he was over here, and so this is what we're believing. We're following the wrong Jesus a lot of times. And so what we're going to do this morning, if that's okay with you, is just kind of walk through the airport, and we're going to find the real Jesus, not according to anyone's opinions or beliefs, but according to the Word of God, according to the Bible. Who is the real Jesus? Um, Because there's a lot of people who want to meet the real Jesus. They want to meet him, and they've never... They've never met him before. Maybe they've maybe heard some things about him, but they've never met him. How are we going to know that this is Jesus? How are we going to know that's Jesus? Uh, so, if you will, with me, if that's okay, um, why would we start with Jesus? Well, I think there's a kind of a crisis of belief in the church today about who Jesus is. Um, I think, okay, we're, we're turning the corner, and it's going to be 2008 soon, right? And so you're going to hear a lot of political ads. You probably already have heard too many. Um, it, already, I know three candidates that have three different be- views of who Jesus is, just among our political candidates, and they're being asked questions. Define who you think Jesus is. and Why is that important? It's, it's important for the church to define who do we believe Jesus Christ is. Why else would we study about who Jesus is? Well, I came across this children's book, uh, not that long ago at a local bookstore. It's a book that I saw a little kid flipping through. And after the kid was done with it, I didn't steal it from the kid. But after he was done with it, after he was done with it, um, I picked it up. And it's a book called What is God? What is God? And, and uh, it was interesting reading through this. Because this is, this is kind of a children's book that uh, represents our society's belief on who Jesus is. Let me just read a, a, a page out of here. Um, does that mean everybody ever does that mean uh if i can read does that mean that everything that everybody ever says about god is right does that mean that god is everything yes god is everything great and small god is everything far away and near god is everything bright and dark and god is everything in between i'm going to skip down to the bottom of the page if everything is god then i am god you are god all of us are god and I, I kind of flipped through this book and thought, oh, wow, this is a great representation of our society, what our society believes, that whatever you want to believe is good, good with you. As long as you're sincere and you really believe it, great. I'm, who am I to tell you? You guys ever heard those comments before? Who am I to tell you what to believe? Who am I to say that my way is the right way? So uh, another reason why we would say Jesus, there's a, there's a, a song a secular song right now on the radio by Matt's 20 and they, some of their lyrics, the name of the song is um, how far we've come. And uh, it's a song that just the lyrics just talk about that. There's no hope that we're all going to hell that you look around, you look at the environment, you look at the political system and there's just, the world is a disaster. There's no hope. Say goodbye. We're all going to hell. And I think what a, what a great opportunity to present who Jesus is to so this Generation that feels hopeless, that feels lost. There is, there is hope. So we're going to look at that today, if, if if that's okay with you. So here's here's kind of my. Uh, it's going to be tough in 35 minutes. To present, what I'd like to present, but we're going to look at four passages of scripture. Okay, I'll narrow it down to four. We're going to look at two in the Old Testament, and then a little bit later we'll look at two in the New Testament. With a big test in between. Okay, we're going to take a, a quiz, and nobody's allowed to leave. But we'll get to that in a minute, okay? The first, um, l- let me show you what students believe. Uh, I, w- I work with students, so I have some, uh, I've been doing some reading. Josh McDowell, ha- well, here's some just some stats, what teenagers believe. These are some good stats here, nothing wrong with these, these are good. Uh, overall, not just Christian students, not just kids who grew up in the church, but overall. 80% of teens believe that God created the universe. Okay, that's good, it's encouraging. believe that God is personally involved in people's lives. Another good thing. 87% believe Jesus was a real person who came to earth. So those are stats. Well, here's some others that tend to contradict that. 46% believe he committed sins. This is about who Jesus Christ is. 51% say he died, but he didn't rise from the dead. 48% of teens say believe that it really doesn't matter what religious faith that you hold to as long as, um, because they all teach good things, good principles. And then 58% believe that all religious faiths teach equally valid truths. Now I don't, before we point our finger at our teenagers, I think this is represent, representative of our society. I think a lot of adults are saying these things as well. So these are just some stats why it's so important. We get a good handle on who is Jesus. Um, I'd like to start with a, with a one-verse proverb, and that's, that's found in Proverbs chapter 30. If you want to turn there, um, we have it up on the screen, I believe, as well. Proverbs 30, one verse. A lot of Proverbs is written by a guy named Solomon. This man um, who writes chapter 30 of the Sayings of Agor, and I just want to read one verse to you, if that's okay. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Who has gathered up the wind in the hollow of his hands? Who has wrapped up the waters in his cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what's the name of his son? Have have you ever seen this verse before? This is in the Proverbs. And and here's this man saying, okay, who is this person? But not just who is this person, who is his son? Didn't know his name, doesn't give his name because here in the Hebrew literature to to write the name, to give the name would say that we would understand the nature of not only father here, but also of the son. And so there's this given that, in the writings here, that they are equal, that their nature is the same. Uh, In this verse, he describes, um, have you ever tried to describe God to somebody, Or, or tried to describe him to yourself? He uses human words, human terms, to try to describe God. He says, who's gathered up the wind in the hollow of his hands? He's giving, it's called an anthropomorphism. It's giving human characteristics to God. And so he says, who's, who's wrapped all, okay, think of all the wind, every breeze that's ever blown, every tornado, every hurricane, every, every gust of wind, every breeze, all that is held in his hand. And then it says, who has um, wrapped up all the waters in his cloak, all, all the rivers, all the streams, uh, every waterfall, every... Every lake, every pond, every ocean is held, uh, gathered up in the cloak. So it's just a, it's a kind of a word picture he's given us. It's just trying to describe how big God is and his power. But not just God, but his son as well. The son as well. So this is just a uh, little picture. He's saying, who is he? All right, he doesn't have, doesn't know all the characteristics. If he was to meet him, he doesn't know all the characteristics. But he knows there's a God and he knows God has a son. If we can go to another passage of Scripture, if that's okay. So this is number two, right? You counting? Uh, Go to Daniel. um, Ezekiel Daniel chapter 3. And I'm not going to put the verses up here for you, if that's okay. Because what I'd like you to do is if later on, because we're going to go through a lot today, later on, maybe this week, you want to spend some time just reading uh, this a little more thoroughly. Um, This is a a familiar story to uh, some of us. Well, I'll just sum it up for you. There were three Hebrew children, three Hebrew teenagers. Uh, they were the best of the best, and they were taken captive from the nation of Israel over into Babylon. And so they're they're living away from their homeland, and they're living in a different culture. Um, and they are asked to do something that goes against their convictions as children of the of the living God, of children of of Yahweh. They're asked to bow their knee and confess with their mouth that King Nebuchadnezzar. Is is God and give Him worship. So bow down before King Nebuchadnezzar. And there's three of them: um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, my kids know them as Rakshak and Benny from a popular kids uh, video. Um, but so they're asked to do this, and they said, "You know what? We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. They hold to their convictions. They're not going to do it." So let me uh, bring you to this this passage of scripture in D- Daniel chapter three. Uh, in in uh, Let me look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. So that was what they were asked to do, and this is what they say. O Nebuchadnezzar, we did not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Some of you at Amandia, you're thinking, what's this have to do with Jesus? Well, hold on, okay? Listen to this. This is a powerful display of faith right here. Really powerful. They believe that God can save them. There's no doubt in their minds that God can save them. But this is what they say next. Sometimes we overlook this part. But even if he does not, we know he can, but even if he doesn't, we want you to know, King, that we will not worship you. We'll not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. So there's the consequences that they're thrown into the furnace. Um, and jump down to uh, verse 22. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who threw them in. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, and he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, yeah, there were. We threw three people in. promise. Uh, He says, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Here's Nebuchadnezzar saying, I don't know. I don't know who Jesus is. I don't know what he looks like. I don't have all the characteristics of him if he was to meet him. But he knows that he exists because he sees them him in the, f- in the furnace. See, three men are thrown in the furnace, and, th- and all of a sudden they see a fourth man. Who is this? Some people say it's an angel. Um, some people say, uh, what I believe he's the angel of the Lord. This is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is Jesus Christ showing up in the fiery furnace. It's called a theophany, when Jesus appears before he does in Bethlehem. It happens often in the Old Testament. It's really cool to see that, uh, how Jesus is present and he's there. He's never present, help in trouble. But what a powerful statement of faith for these three Hebrew um, young men. See, Jesus is not a means to get what you want. He is an end in himself. Just like the Hebrew children said, we believe that God can save us, but even if he doesn't, I'm not going to give my worship to anybody else because no one else is deserving of it. Even if, maybe today, even if you don't get that job, even if you know your mom or your dad isn't healed from that sickness, even if the relationship isn't restored right now, God is still worthy of my worship. Wow, what, what, am I, what faith that takes to be able to say that. Even if he doesn't save us, we're still not going to bow down. We're going to take a moment. Do you know who this Jesus is? We haven't really given him a name yet. We haven't given him some really intimate characteristics yet. We've just kind of talked about him, right? So we now have two people saying, we know something about him. We have this, this proverb saying, who is God's son? And we have King Nebuchadnezzar saying, he looks like one of the sons of the gods. I'm not real sure who that is. but There's something amazing about that fourth person in the furnace. So I'm just going to uh, give you a quiz here. All right, quiz time. Um, here are the rules for the quiz. I haven't done this before. I did it last night, but I don't even know if this is kosher to do. But I don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable. Okay, that's that's my number one rule. There's you don't need to pass your test to be graded by the person sitting next to you. I hated that in school. Uh, I, my best friend's going to know what I got, or the girl I like across the room is going to know what I how poorly I did. But we're not going to do that. Uh, you don't even need to write them down because three questions. That's it, just three questions. So if you, here's the deal, if you miss one of them, you fail. All right, so yeah, good luck. Apparently last night they aced all three of these questions. But if, if we've chosen to follow Jesus, shouldn't we know him really well? If we've chosen to give our life to, to follow him, or maybe here, you're here today investigating who is Jesus. Well, I want you to know who he is before we say give your life to him. So here's three questions. Okay, you ready? We're going to go through them. I'll give you a quick minute. You can discuss it with your spouse. Um, don't dis- disagree with your spouse. But, uh, so let's, number one. Which of one of these best defines Jesus? A, fully God and partially man. Partially God, fully man. Half God, half man. Fully God, fully man. E, none of the above. Take a minute. It's, it's quiet. So maybe you all have the answer. All right, you good? You ready, ready, ready to go? Number two. Okay, number two, and if you disagree with with the answers I'm giving you, or if you want to debate, Pastor Mark will be in not this week, but next week. <laughs> be happy to uh, discuss this further with you. In in terms of the be- his beginning, the beginning of Jesus Christ, a he was created when angels were created. B he came into being at the conception of the Holy Spirit at the time of, of Christmas, what we just celebrated. That was his first. Beginning. c was thought of by god when adam and eve sinned in the garden d none of the above all right good all right let's move to number three we got got it all right what best describes christ's first coming a god sent jesus okay so what we just celebrated christmas what best describes that what just happened there B, God asked Jesus and Jesus obeyed. C, Jesus humbly left his throne and came to earth. D, none of the above. E, just A and C. It was fun creating these. I don't get to do that very often. but Our students should ace this because I've given this to them in extreme. So there shouldn't, you guys, students, you should get these all right. Are right, you ready for the answers? Yeah? Okay. Number one, I won't put anybody on the spot. Okay, fully God, fully man. Really, really important. Early in the church history, um, the, there were a lot of different things. Uh, when the church just got started, people had a lot of different beliefs of who Jesus was, and uh, you know, we consider those heretics. Basically, when when somebody said something about Jesus that if he's not fully God, now it's not fifty fifty. That's the, It'd be easy to say, well, he's fifty half God, half man. No, it's. Fully God. He's 100% God, 100% man. doesn't add up to be 100%. It's a mystery. Okay? It's not supposed to make sense. He was fully man, and he was fully God. He needed to be fully man, and he needed to be fully God. All right? So he had human limitations as a man. He, the, he was thirsty at times. He was tired. He, got, he slept. Okay? There were things like that. He had physical needs but he was also fully God, fully God. Right, number two. You guys got that one right, right? In, in terms of his beginning, Jesus, D, none of the above. Um, there's some, some writers out there saying, well, God thought up Jesus when sin entered into the world because God had to have a plan. He saw sin, Adam and Eve sin. And he said, well, I need to have a plan. Well, you no, know, nothing happens unexpectedly to God. Okay, Jesus has always been. Jesus was there at the beginning, the creation of the world. He, actually, creation was created through him, and Jesus will always be. Okay, so none of that. He's, he was not created. Jesus has no beginning. Uh, number three, what best describes Christ's first coming? Uh, God sent Jesus is correct. We see that in Scripture. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, And then C, you've seen Philippians 2, we're going to look at that a little bit later. Jesus humbly left. Um, God asked Jesus. We don't see that in Scripture anywhere where there was this conversation. Hey, Jesus, could you go down and save these people? They're a mess down there. Okay, I guess. We don't see that conversation take place. So A and C. So three, was that too hard? I have an essay question if you'd like. I I can give it to you. We have some time to do that. Okay, really important. If we've chosen to give our lives to Jesus Really important to know as much as we can about him. Um, We're going to ask you to turn now to Mark chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, if not, we're going to put up on the screen. Page 710, if you want to look in the books in front of you there, the Bibles that we have provided for you. Um, Once you become familiar with your Bible, because when you get home, you don't have the PowerPoint. You don't have it up there in your room. And so you're going to need to be able to get in there and find it for yourself. So Mark chapter 4 um, we're going to look at verse 35 through chapter 6 uh, through verse 41. But there's a couple chapters in this passage that um, are really important because Mark is making the case for the authority of Jesus. And so he goes through in 435 through 66, and those couple chapters, if you have time later this week to read those couple chapters, and he makes the case for Jesus' authority as a teacher. All right. As a teacher. He wasn't like the other rabbis. He was unique. The other rabbis quoted other rabbis. But this one came and spoke with authority. In Hebrew, is smike. He spoke with, with strong authority. Not like the other rabbis. So he has authority as a teacher. He had authority over sickness. Mark's going to show some cases where he heals people. Um, he has authority to forgive sins. Uh, remember that there was a story where uh, a man is brought to Jesus who is crippled and paralyzed and Jesus asks him what's harder to do to say to I forgive your sins or to heal him and Jesus the first thing he does is he forgives his sins um, he has he has power over the evil spirits and over demons demons tremble when his name is spoken so the authority that Jesus has he has authority over death he raises people from the dead In the case of Lazarus authority over death and he has authority really big here right now he has authority over people. He has authority over you, and he has authority over me. To call us to do anything that he desires to ask us to do. He has authority over your life right now. And uh, what we try to do is we try to resist that authority. We try to say no, we try to resist it. God's given us a will. The only created being that he made that can resist authority of jesus christ we see a couple times in scriptures people resisting his authority you can resist his authority but that doesn't mean he doesn't have authority over your life we're going to look at one particular passage this morning Uh, chapter 4 verse 35 jesus calms the storm verse 35 that day when evening came he said to his disciples let us go over to the other side so jesus has been preaching all day he says, "Let's let's kind of get out of here. Let's go to the other side." Okay, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. Now there are also other boats with him, so we know that sometimes Jesus would speak in the water on the in the boat that's in the water, and all the crowds would kind of sit on the shoreline and he'd speak back to them. So he's finishing up here. And he says, "Let's let's go to the other side." So there were some in his boat. We don't know if they were all twelve in his boat or just three in his boat. Uh, we don't know that, but we know there were a few other boats there as well, probably other disciples. And there were some other disciples that stayed on the shore. And it's more secure on the shore. But those who were in the boat with him, I think you could make the case that probably the, the, uh, those who were intimately close to Jesus, maybe the three that he loved more than the other nine disciples. So we don't know really who was in the boat, but there was a few in the boat. And one thing we know about the disciples, many of them their profession were fishermen. Keep that in mind as they're setting sail. These were fishermen. The profession that Jesus had was a carpenter. Okay, ready to move on. Um, So, verse thirty-eight. Jesus, thirty-seven. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now, I don't use squall that often in my vocabulary. Maybe you do, Uh, but a squall is a very fast-appearing storm could be a thunderstorm, a snowstorm, um, you know, just comes up out of nowhere. So that's what a squall is. So if you learn one thing today, go home and say, I know what a squall is. A squall comes up quickly, and the waves broke over the boat, so it was nearly swamped. So, uh, we, you know, they're fishermen. I'm sure they've been in a storm before. I'm just guessing. But this time, the the water's coming over the boat, and they're probably bailing water out, right? And I'm just guessing. There's some imagination here. But they look around. Where, where's Jesus? You know, we could use some extra hands bailing some water out. Where's Jesus? Well, he's sleeping. He's sleeping in the back of the boat. Uh, and he's got his head um, rested up against a ballast or a weight that the boat had, and it. it was probably like a sandbag type of thing. He's back there sleeping. Why was he sleeping? God doesn't need sleep, does he? He says God never slumbers and rests. Well, here's Jesus in his human form. He needed sleep was tired he he was weary he had been preaching all day he needed rest so he's sleeping now I just want you to fast forward maybe a passage of scripture that you know or story that you know before the night before the death of Jesus Christ he asks his disciples to do one thing for him and that's to pray he says I I want you to pray for me please would you just pray for me I've got something big's coming up tomorrow I I need you to pray for me And what do they end up doing? They end up falling asleep. They end up falling asleep. So it's real interesting, their response to Jesus here in the boat. They're really upset that Jesus is sleeping when they're going to end up doing the same thing in a much greater moment uh, later on. And the disciples um, woke him up. Jesus was sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? They call him teacher because that's what he was. He was a rabbi at that point. And I don't believe the disciples truly understood who Jesus was at this point. They really—they haven't put two and two together yet. He was a rabbi, and, and he asked us to follow him. That was a great honor, so now we're following him. But they really, I don't think, truly understood who he was. Do you today? Do you truly understand who Jesus is and the power that he has? Have you Have you met him? May know about him, but have you you met him? Let's see what happens. Um, He was in the stern. The disciple says, "This is a great line, Teachers, Don't you care if we drown? Don't don't you care about us? How can you be sleeping at a moment like this? Look at around us. Don't you care? Look at. Have you ever asked that? God, don't you care that my my mom has cancer? Don't you care that this relationship is broken? Don't you care that I just lost my job? Don't you care? I think, I think sometimes in our moment of prayer, talking to God, it's easy to say that. God, what, are you there? Do you even know what's happening? Um, are you asleep? Are you asleep? It sometimes feels like, God, there's no answer. Are you asleep? And Jesus says, he says something, um, quiet, be still. He says to the waves. Remember that proverb I read? about God controlling all the wind and all the waves. He holds them all in his hand and on his cloak. We're seeing that power come out right here. For with a word, quiet and be still, the wind died down and it was completely calm. Completely calm. I used to read this passage and I think, what happens next? V- verse 40. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? You still have no faith. I used to read this think, he's kind of hard on the disciples. I mean, if you and I were there in the boat, It doesn't matter if we were fishermen or what our job was and water's coming in, we're going to be kind of scared. I mean, we need to do something, kind of panic. I don't think he was referring to their faith or their lack of faith prior to Jesus calming the storm. I think he's saying, why are you so afraid? You still have no faith. Because the next verse says they were terrified. If they were scared before, they're still scared. They're terrified and asked each other, who is this? All right? So the disciples now are doing this. They're doing this. Uh, who, who is this? I, we don't know who's in the boat with us. But now they're amazed because now they have the, they, they, they've seen the power. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him when he speaks. The disciples are getting a little bit closer to who he is. I still don't think they fully comprehend who they're in the boat with. Because there's still a, there's a bit of fear now. Wow, they're terrified. Who is this? Do you have that? Do you have that fear? That res, that healthy amount of respect in your life as you live your life? Of who Jesus really is. Yeah, you may believe that He's with you, and He's. Do you really believe in His authority over your life? Um, so that was our third passage of scripture. I just want to spend a moment and look at one more passage of scripture that. Uh, it'd, it'd be wrong for me to miss out on this passage of Scripture when we're talking about the authority of, of Christ and the power in his, his deity. And that's Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Great passage to go home study. Memorize. If you're looking for something new to do this year, a new discipline, something new in your, your walk with Christ, memorize this passage. This is a powerful passage. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. Um, Let me read it for you, and I'm going to focus on uh, a couple things. Talking about Jesus Christ, Paul says, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, even became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And when it says the word, in some translations it has form, here it has nature. And Paul is using two Greek words that in English translate into one, nature or form. But that doesn't give the whole sense of what he's doing. So the two Greek words, just real quick, one, the first one is morph. Morph. Um, it has to do with form. And sometimes how we use it, it has to do with outward appearance, just the physical form. But Paul's using it here a little bit. It has a different meaning. It has more to the meaning like when we say, well, I'm in good form today. Or that athlete looks like he's in good form today. So it's, it's not just the outward, but it's the internal fitness as well. So that's the first word. The second word is isos. Um, we, we get our, our, uh, our words isometric, right? Isosceles, triangle. Students, you know what an isosceles triangle is, right? Two equal sides. An isosceles, two equal sides. So what Paul is saying here is isomorph. So he's not only the form of God, but he's equal to God. Jesus Christ is God. There's no question about that. According to Scripture, we see that all throughout Scripture, Jesus says it himself, claims that He is God, and we see all the authors in Scripture pointing that Jesus has the same qualities as God. Equal. It's not lesser than God. Is not more powerful than Jesus. Jesus is God. He's equal to God the Father. I wanted to point that out really important passage there. This man, fully man, this. Fully God becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalts Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One of those characteristics in the airport that we like to do is we like to kind of look around and see what where people's final destination is. People's final destination. We just got a little glimpse here in this passage where every person's final destination ultimately will be, whether you do so on your own free choice or not, every person's final destination, hear this, is at the foot of Jesus. Every knee bowed and every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Just what Nebuchadnezzar wanted those Hebrew kids to do to him is going to be happening to every person who's ever lived. Every knee will bow, the tongue will, that's our final destination, the foot of Jesus, proclaiming, who he is, who Jesus is. A passage in Mark, I forgot to mention the passage in Mark. Uh, what was the gist of that whole story of Jesus calming the storm? Was it that we should have more faith in Jesus? No, don't see that. Was it that Jesus calms all the storms in our life? I don't think so. I don't think that. As long as there are seas, there will be storms. Okay, as long as there are seas, as long as there are water, there will be storms. Life will have storms. Some people who have different views of Jesus will tell you that uh, if you believe in Jesus, he'll take all your storms away. He'll calm every storm in your life. That's going to happen one day. The victory's already um, been pronounced. You know, the new heaven and the new earth that comes down, there are no seas. It's a neat little observation there. There's no seas. There's no storms. You can be happy on the seas in the new heaven and the new earth. But, Just to end today, just to end today, what if you're still saying, what if you're still saying, well, I want to know who the real Jesus, how will we know what he looks like? You're here today, you're saying, I want to meet him. How how will I know who he is? How will I know that I've met Jesus Christ? Well, let's say you had that question with God before time began, before the quarters of time. You you mentioned to God, God, how will we know? And this is his response. Tell you what. You'll know because he'll come from the line of Abraham. Okay, God, but that's a lot of people. His descendants are as numerous as the stars in the sky. That's a lot of people. Can you help me out a little bit more here? Okay, of Abraham's two sons, uh, I'll tell you, and this is all scripture, by the way, I'll tell you that he's going to come from the line of Isaac, of his two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, come from the line of Isaac. Okay, that's still a lot of people. So God continues to go through all the prophecies that are given in scripture. He's going to come from the line of Judah. Come from the line of Jesse. He's going to come from the town of Bethlehem, and uh, you're like, okay, that's that's helpful. Bethlehem, a lot of babies born in Bethlehem, but how are we going to know which one it is? And G- God says, hold on, I'm just getting warmed up. He'll be betrayed by a friend. The price is, of his betrayal will be thirty pieces of silver. His betrayal money will be cast to the floor of my temple. Uh, His money will be used to buy a potter's field. He'll be forsaken and deserted by his disciples. Now, what, what I'm reading is a prophecy written hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. I'm going to give you 29 that happened in one day. There are over 270 prophecies in all of Scripture pointing to who Jesus Christ is as the Son of God. He will be accused by false witnesses. He'll be silent before his accusers. He'll be wounded and bruised. He'll be hated without a cause. He'll be struck and spit on. He'll be mocked, ridiculed, and rejected. He will collapse from weakness. He'll be taunted with specific words. Again, all these prophesied hundreds of years before Christ came. People will shake their heads at him. People will stare at him. He'll be executed among sinners. His hands and feet will be pierced, says in Psalms 22. He will pray for his persecutors. His friends and families will stand far off and watch. His garments will be divided and one by the casting of lots. He will thirst. He will be given gall and vinegar. He will commit himself to God. His bones will be left unbroken. His heart will rupture. His sides will be pierced. Darkness will come over the land at midday. He will be buried in a rich man's tomb. He will die 483 years to the day after the declaration of Artaxerxes to rebuild the temple in 444 B.C. All prophecy, hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. 29, just in one day that occurred on. But that's not the greatest sign of how you will know who Jesus is. Let me give you the final testimony. Final testimony that the third day after his death he'll be raised from the dead. He'll ascend to heaven and he'll be seated at the right hand of the Father where he is today. That's the the final sign. But have you met him? How will you know that you've met him? I believe that There's one response that we can have when we truly understand the power and the authority of who Jesus Christ is, and that is to surrender. We're ending 2007, we're starting 2008, a new year. Have you surrendered to Jesus Christ? Maybe maybe you have given your life to him, but maybe he's asking you to surrender a certain part of your life to him. You truly understand how great and how powerful and how mighty Jesus Christ is. You have only one response, and that's to fall to your knees. And to proclaim that he is God, he is Lord, he is Jesus Christ. He is not a means to get what you want. He's not someone that we go to to move from poor to wealthy or to move from sick to get healthy. Just to know his existence and be invited to have a relationship with him, that is, that is an amazing gift that God has given us. I, I want to invite you, if you have not met Jesus Christ in, in all of his splendor and his authority, his power to do so today. And if you have met him, you've chosen to follow him, maybe, you've, maybe the Jesus you've been following is a little bit different. You haven't really, truly understood how powerful he is. So maybe there's one area of your life that he's asking you to surrender to. So we saw the wind and the waves immediately stop when he spoke. Why is it that we want to resist so much when he speaks to us? We want to resist. Our hearts are hard. Would you consider softening your heart today? Just listening to what Jesus says to you as we uh, enter into a new year. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your power and your majesty. Father, thank you that you didn't leave us in our state of sin. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ who the prophets didn't know by name exactly, didn't know all the details, but they, they wrote about him so that we may know. Father, I pray for those who are searching for who Jesus is, the true Jesus, that they would, they would come to find you, that they don't have to stand holding a sign looking for you, that you, you desire to know them personally. Father, accept our worship. Accept our offering to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.